Welcome to Evil Pudding Podcast. Yeah, you tried to sing that. She's been trying to sing the theme song all night long that well, she's trying to make up. We haven't decided on a theme song, so I've been singing my own theme songs. I, you wanted to sing a whole like song song, not just like an intro song. Leave a like if you would like me to <laughs> to sing for you. Yeah, go ahead. That's fun. <laughs> Welcome to the Pudding Pod, guys. Episode number three. Oh. We're like we're pretty much like famous veterans in this industry already. We've had like seven people listen to it, so that's awesome. More than that, but anyways. I know I was being sarcastic. <laughs> we're definitely not veterans, and we're definitely not famous. No, but we actually have had some pretty good feedback from you guys, and that's what I like because I'm kind of just guessing. What you want. But it's, I, it's not even what they what they want because a lot of feedback we're getting is just, you know, how you sound because you get off the podcast and you're like, oh my goodness, how do you listen to me? I sounded terrible. And I I'm hate like, hearing my own and voice. And everybody's like, I love her. What? That's yeah. crazy. And I, I listen to myself and I remember, I think I told you one day, how are you married to me? Yeah, but we all do that. Like, I hear myself and I'm like, listen, this is doofus. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah, I think that too every time you talk. Yes, yeah, a lot of people do. <laughs> it's not just you. It's not just y'all. I'm just kidding. <laughs> One thing um, I was surprised to hear, you guys love the gory details. Everybody loves the gory details. I really thought, and well... Who see, wants a boring story with no gore? Because I deep dive. And when I say deep dive, embarrassingly too much is how much I deep dive. And yeah, no comment on my part. I know the gory details. I was just trying to be respectful and, you know, for gentle ears. But if you guys want it, then... So, give the people what they want, I'm Courtney. Give the people what Courtney, they want. give them what they want. That's that's why I'm here. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? What? Oh, speaking of, <laughs> I I figured in our intro we will do hot takes by Patrick because he has some opinions that I really feel the world needs to hear. Because frankly, I've, I don't want to hear it. I've very so if much you guys just... <laughs> listen on my behalf. I very much don't think the world wants to hear it because I don't think we want to be canceled. No, well, let's talk about what your comment was just before we clicked start. I don't even know how that rabbit hole got started. Yeah, I don't either. I can't even begin. I can't remember. But somehow I was questioning. OnlyFans. Not no, not OnlyFans. Hey, you want to do OnlyFans? You got it. Go ahead. Feet do picks. It was feet pics, and it's just because something right. I don't understand. And I'm like, who one day back in like 500 BC was like, you know what's a thing? Feet. <laughs> and it stuck. But hey, no shame in the game. Did you hear about the Everybody girl their thing? that that made thousands, maybe even millions of dollars by selling her farts in the jar? I heard about the one that was selling uh, her bath water or some crap. That's disgusting. Anyway. Anyways, okay. Y'all are here for the true crime. <laughs> Everybody's turning into the third episode like, what is this because? <laughs> I promise you will get your true crime. Okay, so this one's a doozy. Can I just go ahead and hop into it? Oh, a doozy. I thought we were going to get a nice one, so... No, I know. We've been dealing with I think next murderers, week, rapists, necrophiliacs, and now we're, we're going to have a doozy? Yeah. You know, next week Fuck. it is going to be a little lighter. And I you said that last week. No, this... Well, I did, because this next one. I said after this next episode, which is this one, it's going to oh, be a goodness. little lighter. I needed a break after researching these guys, because this one is just... Oh my god. Fantastic. Okay, so... So let's, let's learn about this and, raging douchebag. And what's even worse is I have like 13, 14 pages of notes 
and, and just just so y'all know, that's actually like her cutting it down. She like if I let it her so cut down, she'd that have forty I could, pages of notes. Yeah, that I we'd could, be talking to y'all for an entire semester. I could do a three part episode on this guy. Maybe they want a three part episode. Hey, if they want one, we'll do one. But okay. why don't you dive right on into it? Tell us okay. who we're talking about today because I have no clue still. Well, here's a big surprise for you. You're gonna love this. Okay, go ahead. Okay, because we're fans, not of this guy, but. So in 1996, the first of five Scream movies would be released. The first one, it was directed by Wes Craven. He's classic. One of my favorites. It's a classic movie. Last one, by the way, was fantastic. Yep. The franchise made millions over the years and rebranded the slasher horror genre. For sure. And they added comedy in there. Like, I mean, dude, I always love, we said it last time we watched it, I always love when Ghostface is running through the house and they, they open like a cabinet door and he does like two backflips and somersaults through the air it's, and falls on the ground. Like, it's hilarious. And I watch it now as an adult and I'm like, this is hilarious. I didn't hilarious. think it was funny back then. But, but it redefined it. It redefined it. But Ghostface, if you don't know, is the name of the... The killer in the screen. Is the name of the mask-wearing, knife-wielding, crazed, killer-stalking high school and college-age kids in a middle-class suburban town in Florida. So... Ever wonder if these movies were inspired by true events? Uh, I don't think I've wondered because I've learned that almost all of them are. When you talk about Leatherface, you're mm-hmm. talking about Ed Gein. Yep. I mean, you're talking about a lot of these movies that we, we all grew up with that are, even our parents probably saw. I, I never, you know, I never thought that Ghostface was. That's so out there. It's, you know, it's kind of a comedy. But it, he, this was inspired by a real serial killer. The Scream movies are loosely based on the horrific murders of serial killer Danny Rawling. Dare I say, Danny Rowling was far more depraved than our mask-wearing friend, Ghostface. Is that who we're covering today? That's who we're covering. Oh, actually, I like this So, let's Let's take a deep dive into the story of the Gainesville Ripper. I've never heard of him, but if he was the basis for the Scream movies, which in the movie were the basis for the Stab movie... You know, I forgot about that. Which makes it more ironic, because the movie was was based on this guy, and they had a movie in the movie based... On the killer. Mm-hmm. Craziness. That's crazy. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get into his crimes first. Need to get it out of the way. Uh, just rip the band-aid off, I guess. Florida. All my Florida friends. You have seen your fair share of serial killers. Uh, just to name a few. When I Googled, I, on the Google machine, I was like, okay, what are some Florida serial killers? And there's a whole essay. Besides Ted Bundy. Um, Eileen Warnos. Samuel Little, David Allen Gore, Bobby Joe Long. Notably, you said it, Ted Bundy. Murdered two sorority girls at the Chi Omega House in Tallahassee, Florida, in his final act of sadistic murder before he was arrested in 1978. Which spanned, like, the entire country. Yeah, that's crazy. He was a traveler. So, the year is now August 1990. Good year. And Ted Bundy has... You say so, I was a kid. And we'll same. I mean, you're younger than me, so <laughs> And Ted Bundy has just been executed for his crimes. 1990. Two and a half hours away from Tallahassee is a college town called Gainesville, Florida. University of Florida, the Gators. And 17-year-old Christina Powell is arriving at her new apartment, looking forward to beginning her freshman semester at University of Florida. That's right. She left her Jacksonville home and she made the 90-minute trip with all of her belongings in the car. They said that the back of her car, a hatchback, would barely close. It was so stuffed and I think we've all been there. (laughs) Yeah, we've all done that. She arrived on August 23rd, 
which is plenty of time to get unpacked and organized before classes begin on the 27th. So. Sounds about right. Her parents last spoke to her that night once she arrived around 11.05 p.m. And she called to let them know that her and her new roommate, Sonia Larson, had both arrived safely and they were heading to Walmart to pick up a few things for their brand new apartment. They were both excited to be on their own and have their own place. I mean, they were 17 yeah, and 18. Yeah, I'm not this already. I know. They were... God, they were Kids so just young. starting their lives, being independent for the first this time is their, their Yeah, absolutely. So, And they wanted to go shopping to decorate. They were so excited. You know they were excited. The first time you get your own place with your, with your mm-hmm. best friend or your good friend and you're out of home. Yep. Yeah. You're excited. Her parents didn't hear from... They didn't hear from her on the 24th, Friday. They had a normal amount of concern, but I mean... I think as a parent, you know, our kids have not called every time they were supposed to. No, but when they're first yeah. away, you're going to be like, she hasn't called. But you're yeah. like, at the same and time, you're like... it's just a day. Yeah. So it's she just, just a day. She just got there. She's on her own. Let it be. But their concern kind of went skyrocketing on the 25th. Um, Christina and Sonia had failed to meet Christina's sister and her brother-in-law, who are bringing some furniture over to their new apartment to get them, which they were super excited about. So they didn't meet them. That's odd. Her sister, in fact, waited in their apartment parking lot for four hours until 9 p.m. Before just leaving. And she was pissed off, but worried, but mostly pissed off because I know well, she's, she's pissed thinking. pissed off because she's waiting for, she's doing this stuff for her sister and she's not yeah. there. She's probably a little worried because maybe it's not like her sister. A little or... worried because she was so excited for the furniture. Okay, so Patricia Powell, Christina's mother and her husband, made the trip to Gainesville the next morning, Sunday the 26th. That's one day before classes were set to begin. In the meantime, Patricia called Gainesville PD to go ahead and conduct a well check. Just while she's driving up there. That's what you do. Uh, So Officer Ray Barber arrived the Williamsburg Village Apartment. Are you looking at my notes? I don't want you to see them. I want to surprise you. So Officer Ray Barber arrived at the Williamsburg Village Apartments at 3.45 p.m. I was definitely looking at your notes. (laughs) Now, Ray, Officer Ray Barber was not overly concerned. Officer Barber gets these calls very often from parents who haven't oh, yeah. heard. College kid, first <laughs> yes. time the kid's away from school. You Absolutely. know, every parent and their brother. And this is back in 1990, so we didn't have oh, yeah. Zoom. Inter- we didn't have internet or text messages. No. So it's all landlines. But one good thing about Officer Barber, he always went and checked regardless. Yeah, they don't want to do it, but they're, they're still going to do their job. Still going to do it. He immediately sought out a maintenance man to assist him. They made their way to apartment 113, which was Sonia and Christina's apartment. No one responded to his knocks. So they made their way to the porch, like around the side of the girls' apartments. And uh, maintenance tried the master key, but the door just wouldn't budge. So they went and obtained uh, permission from the landlord and the landlord agreed. Officer Barber was able to able to kick the porch do- door open. My goodness, I had a stroke there. Immediately. All right. Yeah, he okay. noticed a foul odor. Never good. Oh, it's been two, two to three days. Hot apartment, Florida. Yeah. He drew his gun and slowly stepped inside. So, the first thing he saw when he made his way off the side of the apartment was... Um, 18-year-old Sonia Larson's body sprawled out on her back in front of him on her bed. Her only item of clothing on was a t-shirt and it was pulled up over her chest, exposing her breasts. 
She had numerous obvious stab wounds to her arms, legs, chest, an extensive swelling to her face from a brutal blow. Her arms were outstretched over her head and her legs were extended off the end of the bed, spread wide with both feet touching the floor. So she was obviously posed. Notably, there was a tight cluster of multiple stab wounds to her right breast and a large chunk of flesh had been cut from her upper left thigh, get, it, get this, exposing the femur bone. That's not a small chunk. No, that's, that's a, a huge chunk. A large pool of blood gathered at the center of the bed and it saturated the pillows that laid scatter at the hair, headboard. Blood spattered the walls nearest the bed. Blood was just everywhere, you can imagine. The autopsy report later determined Sonia's cause of death to be a stab wound through her back that punctured her right lung and completely sliced away her spleen. So the poor girl had gone through it. Um, but a second gruesome scene await Officer Barber. Of course. Yeah. The nude body of Christina Powell lay on her back on the living room floor next to the couch. Her corpse told a terrible story, as you can imagine. I mean, the last one didn't tell a good one. No. She suffered five stab wounds to her upper back. This is tough. Trigger warning. Both nipples were removed. Mm. Her neck was slightly bent towards her right shoulder, and her hair seemed to be deliberately fanned out to frame her face. He effectively styled her hair. Yeah, he posed them. Like with Sonia, both of Christina's arms were fully extended above her head and her legs were spread wide, but were bent at the knee. So fully exposing her pubic region. Disgusting. An empty bottle of Dawn dish soap and a still damp towel had been placed between her knees. Soap coated her vaginal area, unfortunately. Her underwear lay on the floor in between her body and the sofa next to a brown purse covered with blood. Both victims' bodies indicated that they had been bound with tape, but then the tape had been removed. So they had a white or a clear residue, sticky residue of adhesive on them. Christina on her wrist and Sonia on her mouth, that's where they were bound. The contents of both girls' purses were dumped out on the living room floor right next to Christina's body. But the rest of the apartment was seemingly undisturbed. Autopsy, yeah, I know. Autopsy report determined that Christina's cause of death would be, like Sonia's, a punctured right lung. To give you an idea at how bad this, this crime scene was, not that any of you would doubt how bad it is, um, Gainesville Police Chief Waylon Clifton would later say of this terror discovered at the apartment, it was, pretty, it was a pretty horrific scene. And I say that having been before I became a police officer, an embalmer. So Yikes. he's seen some stuff. Yeah, that guy's seen probably the worst things of the worst. And he's saying that's, oof. I know. That's craziness. And not only that, as a cop, that's still one of the worst things I've ever been described, even from the ones I think like the, the deceased bodies and stuff I've come across. Like, that's still probably the worst. I don't think we've told him that you were a cop. We probably should have mentioned that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Probably should have mentioned. Well, there you go. I was a military police, law enforcement in the military for, what, 12 years? So he can fact check me. But I even worked in, uh, I worked at CID, the, the armies, mm-hmm. and CIS, if you will. Uh, yes. And I was on SWAT teams and all that stuff for a long time, so. Uh, so, 
I'll tell you something. I like uh, Chief Waylon because immediately, you know what he did? It's not something a lot of chiefs do. <laughs> he called the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and said, I'm going to need some help with this one. <laughs> Can you blame him? What do you even, like? <laughs> usually you have protocols and things you want to do, but like you think about that one, it's just like, where do you start? Like, what what do you do? Like, it's so I know. just uh, well, fucked up. Well, like he said, and I didn't write this down in my notes, but he said in one of the books I read about this, he said that um, he knew that this wasn't going to be the last crime scene that he went to, that this guy... You can kind of tell. You can, that, that's you can like tell. A, the way that the intricacy and the detail he went to to like lay him out and pose him and do all these... It's too depraved. Not even that. Like He took the tape. This was a fetish. Yeah. Absolutely. He's obviously trying to destroy DNA evidence between you talking about the soap where the it was Don on her. Soap. Mm-hmm. And then the tape was removed. Right. So the tape could hold his fingerprints. Right. So, I mean, he, he literally Absolutely. is being so methodical about this that you would think there's going to be another one. So, what we know, right? The last night of their lives, um, they were seen outside their local Walmart at a payphone where Christina, Christina, Christina and Sonia, respectively, called their parents to let them know that they had arrived safely and they were going to shop for their new apartment. Their plans were both wake up early the next morning to clean the apartment, and then they were going to go together to look for jobs. Um... Christina slept on the couch. I cannot tell you how many crimes I've seen where it started with a woman was asleep on the couch. Do not sleep on the couch. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's obviously different for women too because I don't know how many stories I've told or days of my life that have ended with and I fell asleep on the couch. Go to bed. Just go to bed. Make your husband sleep on the couch if you're mad. <laughs> but you don't. <laughs> Hey, just buy a comfy couch and it's not that bad of a deal. It's very true. I'm just joking. Okay, so ultimately, unfortunately, it would be at this Walmart that their killer would spot both of the attractive young women following them back home and killing them both. And this is what's so sad. On their very first night in their new apartment. And they were definitely targeted. Yep. They were absolutely targeted and stalked. Um, so... Let's talk a little bit about, just really quickly, I just want to honor Sonia and Christina, and let's talk about them. Um, Sonia Larson was a National Honor Society Scholar from Pompano, am I saying that right, Pompano Beach? Mm -hmm. Um, As far as I know. Described as a happy-go-lucky kid at her home church, which is uh, First Baptist Church of Pompano Beach. She sang in the church choir, played the flute, and volunteered in the church daycare. She loved giving back to the church. She's gone to school there since she was two. So, she loved it. Pat Hogue, a church member there, said she was great with those children. When she spoke, they listened. Every time you saw her, she had a couple of those kids on her lap. Sonia took summer classes at the University of Florida to get a head start. So, she was already going into this as a second semester freshman. Yep. She was just an overachiever, just a wonderful kid. Ready to get started with the next part of her life. Absolutely. It's so sad. She planned on majoring in education and one day owning and opening up her own daycare. That's what she wanted to do. You know what? Praise her because I don't know a lot of people that want to run a daycare. And I think she absolutely would have done it. Unable to secure a dormitory on campus during summer classes, Sonia settled uh, on the Williamsburg Village Apartments just blocks away from campus where she met Christina Powell during summer 
the summer session freshman classes, and they became best friends really quickly. Christina Powell, she uh, went to a high school called Episcopal High School, and she studied theology, and she also worked on the literary magazine and played multiple sports. She was a very well-rounded kid. Uh, she played softball and volleyball. Teachers described her as a fantastic and fun-loving young woman. She planned on studying architecture in college. She was very interested in that. Uh, her parents were beyond proud of their daughter's ambition. As one of seven children in the Powell family, she had six brothers and sisters. Goodness. Christina would be the first to, to go, go to, to college. college. Yep. Bless her heart. Yep, I heard that one coming. This is a bad one. To me, this was the worst one. We're heading to another crime scene. August 27th, Krista Hoyt, a Santa Fe Community College student, had failed to show up for her night shift at the Alachua County Sheriff's Office. She worked at the Sheriff's Office. It's pretty bold. I wonder if he knew that. That's brave. Mm -hmm. like, I don't think he knew that. But yeah, go ahead. Um, she worked at the sheriff office, sheriff's office where she was a records clerk. And she did that while she went to college. Nancy Carlton, who was Krista's supervisor, said this was wholly unlike Krista to not show up for work. So, having worked for the sheriff's office, she said, hey, go and check on Krista. I can't get a hold of her, right? Yeah, as you would do. Yep. So, this was the night shift. So, she, Krista was due to be there at midnight. Um, at 1.13 a.m., Deputy Keith O'Hara arrived at 3533 Southwest 24th Avenue, which was only three miles away from Sonia Larson and Christina Powell's apartment. The deputy knocked on the door, of course received no answer. So he went and he found the property manager. And uh, the property manager showed the deputy how to get to Krista's rear door, which was around the back side of the complex. I actually looked at a map to see what they were talking about. Okay. <laughs> so you go around the back of the complex, and there is a gate. Like, there's lawn where they could take their dogs or pets or whatever, and then there's a gate, and then there's heavily wooded area. So the property manager was shocked to see that the fence separating the apartment complex and the thick woods was sagging as if it had been pushed pushed down and scaled, like someone had broken into someone it. Hopped it, yeah. Yeah. So that's when Deputy O'Hara immediately suspected foul play and sent the property manager away. O'Hara notices Krista's sliding glass door blinds were drawn, but not all the way. So there was a little part. Yeah. Um, and remember, this is one thirteen, so it's dark. So he lay on his belly and he shone his flashlight into the apartment through the gap in the blinds. And what he saw was a thing of nightmares. Trigger warning, this is rough. <laughs> Krista's body sat upright on her bed midway between the foot of the bed and the headboard. So off to the side of the bed, facing the door. She was set upright and hunched forward. Her hands were drooped by her side and her thighs were spread. Her feet seemed to be floating on the floor in a deep pool of blood. So her feet were touching the floor. She was headless. She was headless, decapitated. Her head was severed 
with almost surgical precision, precision, then placed on the top shelf of a nearby bookcase, propped up with the help of a wooden jewelry box on the other side of the head. Good Lord. Get this. <laughs> the killer had positioned the head such that she was staring at her own body in shock. And the head would be the first thing that anyone would see upon entering the apartment. Stab wounds were visible on Krista's back. Her torso was mutilated. Her nipples, like Sonia or Christina's, were removed and placed on the bed next to her. This is so messed up to me. The killer had placed mirrors all over the room, all around her, so that you would see hundreds of reflections of her mutilated body, whoever walked in and found her. Think about that. I don't know that's why he did it, though. No, but I mean, it just he just made it... It's truly the stuff of horror movies. He wanted to make sure it wasn't missed. That was his... his, his... There's a reason, by the way, which we'll find out. What, he was extra rough on her. I imagine that uh, poor Deputy O'Hara was scarred for life. I, oh How would you God. not be? I would have quit after that, I think. There was yeah, also, I'd be yeah. working as a, a greeter at Target or Walmart. It was like uh, that's no fun. stress for my life. No, that's fine. We're done. So, uh, there was also a two-inch wide area missing on her back. Just cut out like Sonia's thigh. Mm. You saw her femur. Um, it still gets worse, in case you're wondering. She was also eviscerated. A deep cut from her pubic bone to her breastbone exposed her intestines, which O'Hara was weeping by the time other police arrived there, saying that her intestines were glistening with his, with his flashlight. Yikes. And the beam of his flashlight. Just a horrible, horrible, horrible scene. Her body appeared to have tape residue on it, just like the last scene. So it was thought that, like Sonia Larson and Christina Powell, Krista was bound with tape, and then it was removed post-mortem. One thing I thought about this was, do you remember in Scream when Sydney, at the first Scream, when Sydney mm-hmm. asked Stu, how do you even... Um, gut someone and he said you slice them from you take a knife and you split them here's a direct quote you take a knife and you split them from groin to sternum I wonder if that quote was inspired by her Uh, I would think it was if that movie was inspired by that that's a definite reflection of absolutely okay so who is Krista Hoyt Uh, Krista grew up in a small town Archer which is 10 miles away from Gainesville she was very popular She was in her high school band, as well as student council. She graduated from honors from Newberry High School in Archer. Despite her desire to become an adult, Krista maintained a collection of teddy bears that she brought with her to college. And her sister, Lori, would later say she slept in the middle of the mall. That's so sad. Krista had big ambitions. She wished to one day work in the crime lab in D.C., and that's why she was so quick to take the job at the sheriff's department as a records clerk. It was a dream. Okay, so we have one more crime scene in Gainesville. 7 a.m., August 26th, at the Gatorwood Apartments, one mile away from Crystal Hoyt. A building manager sent maintenance to accompany a worried friend to conduct a well check on her best friends and roommates, Tracy Paul and Manny Tobuada. 
Tobata. I hope I'm saying that right. If, if we got it wrong, we apologize. If we got it wrong, I, please correct me if I got it wrong. Um, using the master key, the building manager opened the front door and saw Tracy lying in the hallway between two bedrooms. This is important. With a dark colored bag beside her head. Maintenance hurriedly closed the door, as anyone would do, and then called for help, right? So police arrived five minutes later where they saw Tracy in the same position as the building manager had seen her. But upon further entry, they would discover the body of Manny Tabata as well. Neither body had been mutilated to the degree that the others had. And the dark bag that once lay by Tracy's head, it was now gone. So what do you think this told police? I think it, yeah. Yeah, they caught him like as it was happening. Yeah, as it was happening for sure. He didn't have his chance to do what he did to everybody else. To mutilate the poor girl. They literally walked in as he was about to do his little, right. his little thing. So, okay, let's talk a little bit about Tracy and Manny. In high school, Tracy was a cheerleader. She was beautiful. They were all beautiful girls. She was also a softball player. She was newspaper editor and senior class president. Yeah. She was also voted best all around by her senior classmates at American High School near Miami. Their relationship is the cutest thing in the world. They're not girlfriend and boyfriend. They're best friends and always have been. Manny Tabata was a six foot two offensive guard also at American High School. A big boy. He was a big boy. And like I said, they were best friends um, all through high school. Uh, former American High School principal Fred Bertani would say of Manny and Tracy, they were both dream kids, the kids of the kids that every parent wants their kid to be. After high school, Manny and Tracy both worked and took classes at Miami Day Community College and eventually decided to move together to Gainesville where Manny wanted to pursue architecture and Tracy wanted to study law, both at University of Florida. So the night of the murders, um, that night on August 26th, Tracy's mom called her to inform her that two girls' bodies had been found murdered in that area that afternoon, and she was worried about her daughter. And Tracy said, don't worry, Mom, I've got Manny. And she did. She had Manny. Tracy otherwise enjoyed a quiet night in. Little did she know she was being watched closely from her window, from the woods, for hours. Her killer had a clear view of her from the heavily wooded area behind her apartment complex. And why not? Yeah, you're seeing a pattern here. He's obviously... Easy access and egress yeah. points. Yeah. Manny was out there that evening attending a job interview at... Uh, he was out that evening attending a job interview at Bennigan's. Where I remember Bennigan's. Whatever happened to Bennigan's? <laughs> I know, I haven't seen one forever. Uh, he secured the job immediately that night. Because he was such a likable guy. He was, I'll post pictures of all of these people on our um, Instagram, all these victims. On the Evil Pudding Instagram on page? On the Evil Pudding Instagram page. Evil Pudding Podcast at. That's correct. Evil Pudding Podcast. At Evil Pudding Podcast. Nice yep. plug. Shameless, shameless plug shameless right there. Plug. He seemed like such a likable guy. He was amazing. Um, when Manny arrived home, it was like 1250, um, it's surmised. He peeked his head into Tracy's room to say goodnight, and they both went to bed around 1 a.m. Around 2.30 a.m., neighbors reported hearing a deafening scream, but the screams abruptly stopped. Of course, no one called police. Wait, wait. So you get it. 
Oh, I'm sorry. This is just hard for me. So you get a deafening scream. Like mm-hmm. if you can describe, like you can hear screams. Everybody hears screams, right? You hear kids screaming outside. You hear people screaming outside. You know that time of night it's a little different. But you can, if you're going to describe it to me as a deafening, deafening why scream, why didn't you call police? And what this is, is going on? Like why is, are you not? Like you're talking about like that kind of scream that only happens like once in a lifetime that you would ever hear, or like once in a horror movie. Like this is a it's like an epidemic of people who don't want to get involved. And it's it. You're going to see it time and time again. People who hear horrible things and. But it's it's crazy to me. Like you, you can describe this as a the, the fact that it's described as deafening. a deafening scream. Deafening speaks volumes. And if then on top of that, deafening. And then on top of that, you just had three girls within four miles of that place just brutally, savagely displayed after being murdered, and you hear a deafening scream. That's that's, on, and then it stops abruptly. I couldn't live with that. Deafening scream, and then it stopped abruptly. Mm-hmm. Gee, I wonder why it stopped abruptly. I don't know. No one, no one feels the need. No, I'm sorry. That's just fucked it's up. It's ridiculous. But, it's ridiculous. Like, I want to punch that person see, in the face. You see a pattern of people who don't want to get involved. Or they think, or they think that somebody else is going to take care of it. People do better love each other. Like, good lord. Please. Like, take care of each other. You don't have to love each other. Just do right by each other. Okay, so, uh, the autopsy. Since you weirdos love that. Tracy Paul, she was stabbed in the back. Side note, Mm -hmm. she calls y'all weirdos. I'm a weirdo. I'm a weirdo. I'm more weird. Literally working working in that field. So don't let her call you a weirdo for that. Y'all like what you like because she probably likes it more. I'm Morticia Adams. (laughs) There's like a pun there too because you want to work in that field. (laughs) So bad. So instead of Morticia, you're a Morticia. Okay, so... Tracy Paul, she was stabbed in the back numerous times. Medical examiner uh, would say that both of her lungs were perforated, both of them, and she ultimately died from blood loss. And just to give you an idea, that's not an instant death. That that it's a very take, long death. That would take anywhere from two to five minutes. So she, yeah, depending on the severity of the injuries, was yeah. alive for. And you're in pain. And you're, and you're in pain. You're either sprawling to try to get help or crawling to get help or. Well, I mean, you're just you're trying well, to. Sure, she's worried about Manny. You know, that's there. I'm sure she was wondering if he was still alive, which I don't believe he was. Um, by the way, I just want to say that Manny fought a freaking hard man. He received more stab wounds than all of these other victims put together. So it was surmised that I'm kind of deviating from my notes here, but Manny was asleep. The killer walked in. Manny was stabbed, a six-inch stab wound that perforated. Let me see what it perforated. Everything. We'll just say that. Okay, here it is. Well, six-inch didn't gonna perforate everything on a six-foot-two dude. It's so. a six-inch deep stab wound to the chest, which passed through the upper left lung, ascending aorta, superior vena cava, and ending in the lower left lobe of the right lung. That was the one that killed him, but the dude still woke up and had to be stabbed 30 more times. Before he finally succumbed to his injuries. I don't know that he's... That, like you said, if that's the one he succumbed to... Because you're talking about puncturing basically both lungs and a major artery. That was a death stab, it's, though. It's, it's a death stab. It's yeah. a time limit. That's but the fact... You're right. The fact that he can fight to 30 more stab wounds... Mm-hmm. Is incredible. He's amazing. And then if you think if that stab hadn't been that lethal... Maybe it had gone half the distance or only hit one or two of the organs that it hit... 
Could he have fought off long enough to keep this dude from possibly well, killing was, his friend? He was trying to protect her. So it That's was, what I mean. If, he, if, if that one blow didn't kill him, because that blow killed him in two minutes. So, in the end, there was a... Spoiler alert, the killer was caught. <laughs> um, there was an interview. And what happened was, uh, judging by kind of the layout of the crime scene and the killer's interview, he stabbed Manny in his sleep. Um, most likely... Um, Manny woke up to fight back. Tracy came running into the hallway to see what was going on. Manny had succumbed to his injuries by then. And that's where the killer got her. Got her. Yeah, so it was rough. But he did, I will say this, the, um, the killer did say that he almost wasn't able to fight Manny off. He was a fighter. So, police have a suspect, Pat. How do they have a suspect? Because I would love to know how they have a suspect now. So, after, after the murders of Tracy and Manny, police questioned their neighbors in the Gatorwood apartments. Um, a few residents, obviously, a few residents revealed that they had recently kicked out an ex-roommate because he was, quote-unquote, acting crazy. They said that 19-year-old Edward Humphrey was a loner. He had scars on his legs and face from a bad car accident. Ooh. <laughs> and he loved to put on... This is kind of odd. I, I'll give him this. He loved to put on military garb and go on stakeouts at night and not return until in the morning. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm going to think that's weird. <laughs> like, right off the bat, and be like, bro, what are you doing? He's about to give you a little more. Okay, so... He was also said to have carried a large military-style knife, which, by the way, um, the the medical examiner at this point had said that the stab wounds in all of these murders, all of the five murders, were caused by a large military-style knife. It it was called a K-bar, yes. Back then, it was one of the only brands that has a very distinct style. It's about four to six inches. It has that kind of hooked... I thought it was a call bar. (laughs) That little hook tip at the end. <laughs> it can be serrated at the bottom too. Because it's spelled K A. K A dash B A R. Yeah. But I mean, it's everybody knows. Everybody is. So I just put large ones. knife because I didn't want to sound stupid and say no. call bar. K bar. K bar. Oh my gosh. Okay. But that was immediately one of the. First of all, you said scream. So that's the kind of knife they used in that. Is it really? You know, I didn't how know it was that about one. a six inch blade that had a hook. Not a hook curve, but it kind of. The back curves in and then curves back out with the point. Mm-hmm. Um, that's K-bar, basically. Not drastically. It's kind of a subtle curve, but... Dude, this is badass. Kind of the parallels that we can draw. Like, just from... But as you're describing the stab wounds and the, and the way that it punctures and the... Like, certain knives, obviously, if you get yeah. around knives or if you like knives or yeah. if you're obsessed with watching Forged in Fire like I am, um, you kind of learn how they penetrate and slash and slice depending on their design. So as, as the wounds you're talking about, it sounds a lot like a like a K bar or even like a. Um, I'm gonna have to go back and watch some of this. Maybe movie. like a butcher. butcher Never knife, even maybe. paid attention to the kind of knife. I just knew it was a knife, and I'm like, no. Nope. So, police um, they conducted a preliminary background check on Humphrey, and, and they found out he was batshit crazy. No, we're not gonna say that. Mm-mm. No, he wasn't crazy. Well, I mean, he he struggled. We'll put it that way. Yeah, clearly. Clearly. It was noted that his ex-girlfriend looked like several of the victims. That's always a red flag. 
Huge red flag. Huge red flag. He's exacting out his revenge because she broke his heart and left him. Uh, whatever. It was also surmised that he had apparently received psychiatric treatment for a newly diagnosed uh, schizophrenia. What's more, Humphrey was in fact seen at a... This is kind of crazy. I'll say that. Uh, he was actually seen at a party at the apartments in which Christoph Waite lived in. So, the apartments that she was killed. And Krista also attended that party. So, if he lived at the Gatorwood apartments, mm-hmm. he had a tie to three of the five victims. He lived at the Gatorwood, so he could have known Manny and Tracy. Yep. And he yep. went to a party at the apartment in which Crystal lived in. Was, I just had the address. I don't he did know the live name with Manny it. and Tracy, right? No, he didn't live with them. Oh, they said they he lived in the. He was a resident in the complex. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was just the third roommate of his or something. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. So, he had a tie to all three. Three of the five. That's... I not mean, a coincidence at that point. It's not a coincidence. It's definitely a point of interest to look into. Um, so, Humphreys gets into a little trouble. Him got, him got in trouble. Before this or like... After. Okay. Yeah, After. August 30th, 1990, um, Deputy Doug Hammock of Brevard County Sheriff's Department responds to a 911 call. Mm-hmm. 79-year-old, and this is a name that I'm, I've been struggling with for a week now, Elon Havadi, the grandmother of Ed Humphrey. She had called and uh, told authorities that her grandson had beat her. Uh, Hammock, when he arrived, noted that her face was swollen and bloody. Again, she's 79. So he's an asshole. I mean, we know that for sure, right? Well, he's, he's also... He's sick, and he's he's struggling. No, I wasn't, I wasn't even going to go he's there. He's an asshole. He's not going to pick somebody that can fight back, basically. So he's not going to pick, like... Oh, you think that he's our guy, huh? I have no idea. He's not. Oh, Okay. I just hate when serial killers, they're always like, oh, they went for this Picking victim. Picking on the elderly. Elderly and young women. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, because, yeah, you wouldn't try to murder a dude because you get your ass whooped. So this was the fifth domestic disturbance at a resident. I'm not going to argue that he's not an asshole, but he's not our guy. Okay. So while his grandmother was being questioned, Edward was held in the deputy's patrol car where he was violently bashing his head against the rear window. So he's just sick. And he's he's screaming that he's sorry and he's threatening to kill himself the whole time yeah he's he's remember he's a kid he's only 19 yeah, he needs help his grandmother was brought to the hospital and um it was determined that her face her whole face was fractured i was like was it her nose i was trying to research what part it was her face so yeah, just not her nose, her orbital socket, yeah. her cheek, her jaw, like everything was just smashed. She said that she was sitting on the couch watching television and he tried to choke her before lifting her up and punching her in the face. So he's, he's a little shit. I mean, for sure. Um, beats up an old lady. I know. It's his grandmother. Police, they brought Humphrey in for questioning. Um, they obviously suspected him at this point of the murders, right? You would. It's when he's got I mean, I would. He's I totally would. Violence, lived there, connection to three of them. To he's three like, of them. He's like number one on the list. Absolutely, right absolutely. So, um, police bring Humphrey in for questioning regarding the Gainesville student murders. 
Um, Wally Gossett was dispatched to interview Humphreys at Sharp's prison where he was being held. Edward kept referring to himself as John and displayed knowledge of the killings. So, he, I mean, he's struggling mentally for sure. Well, he's going by another name. Yeah. So. Um, he said that a man with a mean edge had to have killed the five students and that that man, John, was inside of me. Humphrey even confessed to using a knife in the killings and was quoted to say, Dude, the victims didn't even see it coming. So he voluntarily... This is where it starts to kind of... His story kind of starts to break down. He's, um, so he's, he's trying to take clout for the murders. Yes, he he's trying to take clout. But I don't think he fully understands what he's doing. No, this dude sounds like he's seriously sick and he needs help. And so he's going to run in here and be like, Oh, yeah, dude, that was me. Like, give me the publicity or whatever. Well, the cops, you know, were like, well, Would you be willing to provide a hair and pubic sample? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And he also provided a blood sample. He wasn't a match on anything. His apartment was also searched, and investigators found the large military, and it was a K-bar-style knife, which matched the suspected murder weapon. They still didn't have, without the test coming back, um, substantial evidence to charge Humphrey with the Gainesville slings just yet. Uh, he could only be charged with battery of an elderly person at this point. Yo, you, 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 you confess. This is the, you got to remember. This is the nine. This is like nineteen ninety. Yeah. So this is like when, if I remember correctly, like trying to get a conviction in any case like this, you had to have DNA because DNA was the newest thing on the block. So like. If you didn't have DNA... It was blood type first. And that's then, what, but like, I'm saying. Like, you matched blood type first. It, that's what, this was mm-hmm. only, like, a year or two, maybe three years prior to this so, is when the, the blood type matching became relevant in court. So, so it became, yeah. like, you have to have... If you have this, mm-hmm. it's a slam dunk. If you don't, like, DAs were like, get me So get what me they DNA. did with DNA testing is it was um, just in the early 90s. I don't know if it's this way anymore, but DNA testing was super expensive back then. Oh, it's cheap now. So... What they did was they matched blood type first. If the blood type didn't match, they didn't even bother with the rest. From my well, understanding. This is 1990, so we're talking about probably one of the first two or three years it's actually being used as forensic evidence. Right, right. That's why I'm saying like, the courts. And in court. And admissible in courts. Mm-hmm. So when that became, if courts didn't have that, like, prosecutors were like, hey, I can do this, but mm-hmm. do you have this? Because if you have this, it's 100% conviction. So his grandmother actually wanted to drop the charges altogether. But he was, in fact, she she saw that what they were trying to do to him, railroad him, in her mind. And um, she was like, I just want to drop charges altogether. But they pushed, and he was found guilty and sentenced to 10 months in prison. From so beating grandma. Prison from beating grandma, yeah. which he did. But he wasn't so, tried for anything else. He wasn't tried for anything else. So by now, it was also publicly revealed that he was a suspect, so it was a witch hunt. Like, everyone hated him, you know? Oh, they're just At this point, the police and everybody's panicking. They're like, I need to put this on somebody. It's very important to note, too, that at this point, in Gainesville, people in... Because there's many... It's not just uh, University of Florida. It's all these community colleges and, like, a bunch of other yeah, There's a ton of schools there, but U of, Gainesville is um, U of, it's U of F. But parents were pulling their kids out of school, so... Gainesville was a ghost town at this point. Why wouldn't they be? They had five, th- we have daughters. Four college-age kids, freshmen. We aged. have daughters. 
I would be like, I don't care what it costs. I don't care if we get a refund. Like, get your ass home. Yeah, that or I'd be... Humble. No, I'd be sitting on on their steps all day long. Escorting them to class, like, protective services detail. I bet even some of the teachers didn't want to go to college at this point. I'd be sitting in the back row of their class with, like, a Glock in my pocket. Or even on my desk, just like, (laughs) proceed with the lesson, sir. Of course you would. You've just been waiting for that, haven't you? No, I haven't been waiting for that. It's my dream job, but no, I haven't been waiting for it. (laughs) So, by now, you know, the public knew that he was a suspect. There was an all-out media frenzy surrounding. Remember, he's only 19. Think about you when you were 19. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I wasn't a good kid. Let's just put it that way. And students started to feel safer at this time, hoping that the... You know, well, the killer felt, was in custody. No, they were hoping that the killer was in custody, so their parents were letting them return. Yeah, that's so I mean, that's kids what I'm were slowly trickling back in. Police, at this point. police were going to throw everything at him because they just wanted this ordeal to be over. Mm-hmm. So that the fear, the public fear, you know, which causes you're talking about everybody left, the lack of revenue, like the whole town's deserted. It's that public fear. So if they say, "Hey, we got somebody that did this. He's in custody. It's safe now. Everyone's going to come back." They're For just sure. trying to kill that fear off. Which, side note. What, what movie? What movie did they do that in? What? Scream. Colton. They put Colton. Was it Colton <gasps> Mathers? They did. Oh my god. They, they wanted to show us Cotton Mathers. No, I have later on here. I have Cotton Mathers and Gil Weathers. They all come forward. That's what I was saying. They wanted to. I mean, the movie did the same thing. They wanted yeah. to put it all in Cotton so that everybody else would shut up and it would move on around the business. By now, it's uh, publicly publicly revealed that. He was a suspect in the Gainesville students' things. There was an all-out media frenzy surrounding this, remember, 19-year-old kid. Uh, And students were starting to feel safer, so their parents were letting them return to school. Yep. Edward's grandmother, during this time, she regularly gave interviews declaring her son's innocence in the murders, despite the battery charges against him. Poor lady. Yeah. Um, she claimed he's absolutely not capable of murder. She's just, she's just like thinking he got upset and hit her and doesn't want to defend him and doesn't want him to get in trouble for murder and all that stuff. Um, fun little side note. So while Humphreys was, I keep saying Humphreys, it's Humphrey. Humphrey. Okay. Humphrey, he was still under suspicion at this time. Of course. Um, and rule. Do you recognize that name? No, you don't. Why does that sound familiar? I know the name. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. Uh, she's famous for her friendship with Ted Bundy yep. and her book about his life and crimes. Yep. Uh, the book is called The Stranger Beside Me. She also wrote many more. I'm a huge fan. I've read like 20,000 of her books. Well, I knew the name. I just couldn't remember from what. Yep. She was interviewed during this time by a local Florida news station. And when she was asked if she believed that Humphrey was guilty, she said, I don't think so. He's too young. I don't think he's sophisticated enough. They don't get to be serial killers if they're stupid. I love her so much. I'd hold a torch for that lady. Although the Gainesville Ripper left behind little evidence. He was pretty good. and He left behind very little evidence. Yeah, we saw that with the Dawn soap mm-hmm. and the way he takes the tape off. Yeah, of. especially for back then. There were, in fact, small traces of semen... Uh, that were found, I mean, microscopic 
and Christina Hoyt's vagina, as well of tr- as well as Tracy Paul's uh, rectum. Uh, DNA analysis did not match Humphrey. He was innocent. Unfortunately, Edward Humphrey's grandmother died 56 hours before a grand jury decided he should not be charged in the Gainesville murders. Poor lady. Oh, it's she just died a thinking her grandson was going to get convicted. Yeah. Thinking he was innocent, worried he was going to get convicted. Yeah, I know. She knows, though. Florida investigator Don Maines drove to, because uh, they had a whole task force going on. Um, yeah, you, you would do that. You would do that with someone yeah. like this. Um, he drove to Shreveport, Louisiana to investigate similarities between the Gainesville student slings and a triple homicide that occurred that year prior, 1989, mm-hmm. uh, in Shreveport. It's a long drive. That's a long distance. Is it? When I lived in Louisiana, we always went to... Or not to not Gainesville. We, but we went to Florida for spring break. Yeah, but y'all probably went to like Destin area. I mean, Panama I didn't. City. I'm more to Shad. Gainesville is so. a couple hours from there. Yeah. I don't like the sunlight. <laughs> the Gaines, or the uh, Shreveport investigators, they were saying, you know, we got something here. There's some similar similarities to the Grissom triple homicide. Eight-year-old Sean Grissom, eight-year-old Sean Grissom, was staying at his grandfather's house for the weekend, and his grandfather, William, who was also known as Tom Grissom, was planning on bringing him to school Monday morning, so he was spending the weekend with his grandpa. When Sean failed to show up for school on November 6th at Turner Elementary, the school called his mom, who was also unable, unable to get a hold of Tom, so the police were immediately called. Police, in the meantime, sent neighbors over to knock on Tom's door. There was no answer. The neighbor went around the side of the house where she was able to gain access to an unlocked laundry room. And she immediately saw a bloody body sprawled out on the Mm. floor. So she slammed the door and she immediately called the police and said, hey, hurry up. Holy crap. Yeah. So when police arrived, trigger warning. A child. I mean, killed a child his grandpa. Trigger warning. Dude's a little piece of duty, man. Police arrived and confirmed that uh, Tom, the grandfather's body, lay dead in the laundry room with multiple stab wounds to the chest. Further into the house... Oof, this one kills me. Eight-year-old Sean Grissom was face down near his Nintendo with his Halloween candy. Because it was November 6th. So Halloween was just five days, days ago, six yeah. days ago. It was strewn out next to him. Um, a single stab wound passed through the boy's back and out his chest. In the bedroom, the 24-year-old daughter of Tom, Julie Grissom, which was the target of this whole murder. Sure. Because the killer wanted her. Look what he did. It just makes me sick. His target is women. Um... She was found on her back, nude, with bite marks covering her breasts. She had been repeatedly stabbed and slashed in the back, and her body was posed in a sexually explicit manner. We've seen this before. Oh, yeah, like every other one. Mm-hmm. Hands and arms over her head. Hair fanned out around her face and legs spread. So, same memo, right? We now have a new suspect, Patrick. 
But you obviously have a new suspect because you see that this happened a year before, two mm-hmm. states over. Yeah. It's clearly the same dude. He's obviously elevated because this would have been his first one where he went through a kid, a grandfather, just to get to a girl. And he realized it's probably much easier to go to the girl. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's True. True. Shreveport detectives revealed to Florida investigator Don Maines that they had a suspect for the Grissom triple homicide. Um, and they didn't hear about it on the news that this dude was doing the same crap multiple times in Florida. Well, I don't think they correlated it at the time. See, that's, but, well, if it's November, if the murders happened in August, it probably took a while to get over there. No, I, I, maybe. But I'm just saying, if, I, if this was the year before the original the Grissom murders happened, right? And I'm a cop there, and I see this murder scene where this woman is graphically splayed out, hair fanned out to accent. Mm-hmm. And then that's the details of a murder a year Dex. later, like two states over. I'm gonna be like, holy! You don't forget that. You're not like, oh, that's so random that it's happened twice. Yeah. You go, no, holy hell! Well, we call you the first time and say that that happened here. Spoiler alert! I like how you think. It's why I married you. There's somebody who is a heroine in the story, and she thinks she, like you. She lived in. She saw the story from Mississippi or Louisiana. I don't even need to tell the story anymore. I'm just going to let you guess what happened. I'm putting it together. She I saw the like story in Louisiana. I thought I was going to surprise you. And, well, you did surprise me with all this stuff, but the, you know, connecting the case and the law enforcement stuff, that's the kind of what I did for years. So I can put it together, or I would think what would happen, at least. Okay, so the new suspect they had in custody already. For what, you ask? I don't ask, because I'm sure this dude had a laundry list. He did. Um, he was already in custody at Marion County Jail. Started out with petty theft, moved into drugs or violent crimes, then it got into rape and murder. I'm just... My Uber's here. <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to go. guessing here. Mic drop. <laughs> you take over. Okay, so... Um, remember... I, I, I know nothing about this story. I'm not reading your notes. I'm all the way over here. I don't trust you. I feel like you are in my head. It's weird. Okay. That's, that's a different story. Remember, remember, they had the killer's DNA from Crystal yep. Hoyt and, two girls and Sonia's rectum. Yep. Right. Okay, so they have the killer's DNA. So, I think this is kind of cool. On January 22nd, 1991, Marion County contacted the Gainesville Task Force and said, Yo, our dude... He has a hurt tooth, and the dentist, the jail dentist, just said it needs to be pulled. So, um, I'm going to send you the tooth. There's your DNA. They got smart. And they did. They got smart because they finally realized, somebody realized, yeah. like, hey, these are really connected. Like, these right. are really similar. And they said, hey, we can't let you come get a DNA sample, but if but we have public. to voluntarily take one. It's public. Because we can share. Had, yeah, exactly. Um, and they also sent up the bloody gauze that he discarded after he packed the. Well, yeah, they can share the samples. They just yeah, can't it take trash. it illegally Public. from him. Yeah. So it was a perfect match to the DNA found on Christoph Waite and Tracy Pulse. So we got our killer. Ooh. Does he get charged in Louisiana or does he get charged in Florida? There was a one in three billion chance that the DNA could belong to anyone else other than this guy. Who is this guy? Who is our ghost face? 30 you mentioned his name earlier. I can't remember. 36-year-old Danny Rawling. And he is just... Oh, my God. 
So, Danny Rawling, he was born May 26, 1954, in Shreveport, Louisiana, to mother Claudia and father James Harold Rawling. So, James, his dad, was a veteran of the Korean War, and reportedly he went in good and came out bad. Which is a lot of people. So, um, he had, obviously, undiagnosed PTSD. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. he was also a Shreveport police officer. And PTSD wasn't a thing back after Korea or even Mm -mm, Vietnam, really. You man up, you handle it. It really came around maybe after Gulf War, if not Iraq and Afghanistan. But this guy, we're not going to feel sorry for him. Uh, He didn't want kids. He made that very clear to Claudia. Of course, back then there was no birth control, right? So... Um, he was furious, furious at Claudia when she became pregnant at 19. He would later constantly remind Danny, after Danny was born, what a huge mistake he was. He abused Claudia her whole entire pregnancy, beat her, beat her stomach. Um, there's even a report that after, right after she gave birth, Claudia was admitted to the hospital because her husband had forced her to use razor blades to slit her own wrists. So he forced her to... Try to kill herself. Try to kill herself. So he wouldn't look guilty in it. 15 months after Danny was born, as much as he didn't want kids, guess what happened? Had another kid. Had Kevin. Another little boy. Oh, I don't want kids. Well, maybe you should try some sort of contraceptive. Exactly. Claudia, she was not abusive. She actually tried really hard. I think she was just, her hands were tied. Um, she filed for separation, so she did try to get the boys away. She tried to get out. Yep. When Danny and his brother were only toddlers, but she, it was only noted in my research, she couldn't go through with the, with the divorce, which tells me he probably threatened her, God knows what. I mean, he was just awful. Later, and this just, I swear to God, there is a correlation Danny would have a rough fall off their back doorstep. Head injury. And hit his head on the concrete below, causing his forehead to have a permanent dent, permanent dent down the middle, frontal lobe damage, which, by the way, I have, and I'm not a serial killer, but I do think there's a correlation. Do I need to be concerned? Probably. Okay. I'm not, I'm not. (laughs) No, no. But I do think that with extensive... Frontal lobe damage. Frontal lobe's worse. Untreated, especially if there's a concussion involved, and that which is easier to do than we think. Uh, and yeah. then no, no, it's no, a I perfect evil stew pudding, if you will, of pudding. You know, an abusive family. So his mom tried to leave and take the boys, but it didn't work out. When Danny was five, uh, things were kind of looking up. His dad brought home a puppy. Trigger warning. Oh, things are bad. <laughs> Why would you do that to me? I'm about to say, oh, things are bad. Let the family get a puppy. And then you say trigger warning. If this person, somebody, no, if somebody kills the dog, I'm done. For whatever reason, the dad got pissed, broke the puppy's neck, not even a dog, it's a baby ass puppy, in front of the kids, and the puppy died in Danny's arms. Again, Danny was five years old and trying to handle this mentally. On his so, own. two questions. If Danny's the killer, I don't want to know. Did he kill his father first? Please give me that right now. Oh. Because that dude, how do you, first of all, how do you break a dog's neck? A puppy. 
How do you do it in front of your... How do you even do it, let alone in front of your kids? I don't know if he was pissed off at his kids, but... So, Danny, he did okay in school, actually, but he failed the third grade after consecutive bouts with mumps, measles, croup, and tonsillitis. So, he was a sickly little kid. Probably because his parents abused Or, his dad abused the crap out of him and didn't take care of him. Yeah, probably didn't take him to get shots, probably didn't take him to the doctor. After uh, being Ugh. yeah, after being held back, his grades plummeted, and he reportedly developed an inferiority complex along with aggressive aggressive tendencies and oh. lack of impulse control. Oh, <laughs> so um, and also frontal lobe da- damage symptoms with impulse control. I think. Impulse control, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I can't remember if it's correct, but I'm pretty sure it has an aggression issue, an aggression thing too. Was, There's no aggression well, switch. Well, if, if you remember our um, Earl Nelson episode. Aggression is the symptom. Yeah, why would I forget that, dude? <laughs> the gorilla killer. The gorilla killer. Go back and listen, by the way. Oh, if you saw the pictures of him, good lord. This is this is sad. And remember, we feel sorry for the child, not the adult. Always the child, not what he became. When he was nine years old, a cousin reportedly molested Danny. No. Um, but he didn't feel like he could confide in anyone, so he kept it to himself. And, and there's your there's your two telltale signs right mm-hmm. you talk about head injuries the other one is abuse or molestation mm-hmm. like those you, any combination and of those abuse and seem to present themselves in most serial killers or most disturbed individuals um, about. so the family is not supportive so he couldn't like go and talk to anyone about this of course no they don't want it to get out exactly so uh at 14 a friend named James Anderson introduced Danny to peeping into women's windows, which he would do this for the rest of his life now. So I'm going to touch on voyeurism real quick. Um, a lot of times with these serial killers, what we see is a period of voyeurism, and that's usually in Watching. their early, earlier career. Kind of stalking. Yeah, they're stalking, but it, it's all about control to them. It, it's, they're it's in control. Seeing, yeah, it's seeing women... Or whoever the target is in their weakest moments, their most vulnerable, their yeah, personal, vulnerable, vulnerable. their most personal, personal moments. vulnerable moments, and they're controlling the fact that it's right, happening. Right, and it's without their consent. No, right. they're not controlling the anything. Thing. They're yeah. controlling, <clears throat> but to their minds, they're saying, "I'm controlling this." But like, no, you're just being a weirdo looking through someone's so, window. So remember, this is all before the age of fifteen. <clears throat> so at fifteen, this is this is very sad, Danny. Uh, slit his wrist in a suicide attempt on the um, mirror in the bathroom he wrote I tried I just can't make it and that's that's sad to me well it's it's sad because he's already a very disturbed very individual yeah like he's he's clearly in need of evaluation or, or, or help help or something like somebody help. needs to take a look at this kid and say hey what's going on with you well if he was born, so this is the 60s, early 70s. He's, you know, it's not going to be a thing, mental health right now, I don't think. So, um, at 16, the next year, uh, Danny and his dad got into a fight. This is not new. They fought. Uh, but this time, Danny actually stood up for himself. Uh, he pulled out a gun and shot his father twice. One bullet nearly missed his father's head, skimming his ear so his father was missing an ear for the remainder of his life. He pressed charges against Danny. I'm kind of mad he only got his ear. I know. That's what I thought, too. I mean, I'm not I'm not even going to count that as an offense, to be honest. Like, bro, like, <clears throat> I'm, the only offense there is his accuracy is terrible, and his dad should have taught him to shoot better. But 
and you know, I apologize for that, but his dad broke the neck of that. a dog I in really front of his do kids. Not count like, that as an offense at all. Uh, Danny was sent, sentenced to a year at um, juvenile detention center, and he never finished high school. Of course, uh, how could he? How could he? He was failing grades for being yeah. sick for not getting vaccinations or just being sick in general. And then he goes to 10 months in juvie. How are you going to finish school? So, can you guess what he did at 17? We've seen a pattern. We're talking that time. Uh, I'm going I'm to assume he joined the Army or the Navy. Nope. Marines? Nope. Didn't. So what did he do? Air Force. <laughs> He did, um, he did actually really well with the mental aspect of his work. He actually has a pretty high IQ, uh, which it's just a waste. It's not but actually, actually, I don't find that shocking. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the level of detail that this guy has gone into in his later life. He's a smart dude. There's no. He's sick, but he's smart. He's sick, but there's a very sophisticated detail to what he's doing. So, um, remember, he's 17. <clears throat> he's still a kid. So he went to boot camp, and after that, after boot camp, he did really well in boot camp. He began drinking heavily after boot camp and using, he waited. Okay, so after boot camp was done, he did pretty well. Um, He did begin drinking heavily and using drugs, though that was the, that was a catalyst. He was using drugs, that's not good. But for some reason, he went out one day and he stole a bike. Like a bicycle? Bicycle. Not a... Boom, boom, bike. Mm-mm. Why? He stole... I know. Why Why you need a bike, bro? Why you need a bike? You have, you, you, you have a job. You're in the military. You're in the Air Force. And he was doing well. Why do you need a bike? You need a bike? It was because he could. It was a thrill. That's it was a power really thing. It was. it was a power, it was a power control. Power thing. The re- and that's what... I was like, why would you do that? It's a pure power. <laughs> I can do this. honestly seeking structure at this point. He's never had it his whole life. He wanted a family. He's got and a family. He's got structure. He's in the military. Anybody in the military will tell you that's exactly. what the two things but that define it's, it are. It's a power thing. So we're going to see that many serial killers, um, their crimes start out rather petty. And I'm not counting shooting his dad. I honestly, truly, with my whole heart, believe that was a self-defense move. And his dad's an asshole and deserved it. I don't I, know the details, but... I mean, I wouldn't... I ain't mess, mad at it. I'm just saying. I ain't yeah. mad at it. Um, they start out petty. These serial killers' crimes. It's, um, it's petty like theft. Then arson. It's like I said. We see a lot of arson. It always assault. steps up to... It's always, mm-hmm. It always goes on a trend from property mm-hmm. to personal. Mm-hmm. And then to violent personal. But he, when he goes to personal, he deep dives in because his first murder was a triple homicide. Well, I know. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm just saying that's normally. Nuts like, but I say, I'm guy. saying it goes from property to person to, to violent personal. So yeah. you're talking about like to a structure and then maybe you, you steal from people or you get in a fight and beat somebody up. And a violent personal, you get into that like, mm-hmm. murder or rape. So, he received a general discharge for, um, for this what? is a quote. Um, it's not easy to get a general discharge. Recurring behavioral problems and an underlying personality disorder. Direct quote. He was discharged. What do you think he did? Tried to join another branch. No. Um, well, last dude did. He went back to Shreveport. Why would you do that? I always wonder, like, why would you do that? You go home where all the bad stuff is. But because was, that's the only home you know. That's all he knows. Yeah. He went from home to boot camp. Where is he supposed to go? California? 
Um, so he got involved in a Pentecostal church in Shreveport. A young, sweet woman named, and this is a name I never heard of before, Omasa Ann Hocko in 1974. Okay. Four months after they started dating, they were married. And they soon had a daughter named Kylie. So Kelly was born. I wish I could say that Kylie changed him and he became, nope. <laughs> but that's not the case. After the birth of his daughter, <clears throat> Danny returned to drinking and drug use. Lack of control. And he, I guess when he was dating Omatha, um, he had stopped doing this, but after Kylie was born, he started peeping into windows again. Well, <clears throat> for a guy that wants to be in control, mm -hmm. you have a kid. You have no control. Any parent yeah. out there can tell you the least amount of control you'll ever fear in your life is with a newborn. For sure. Ever. So. Word. Oh my God, word. He probably felt that loss <laughs> of control and was like, yeah. I need to get control back. So, this is nuts. And just as a wife, I think about this. In 1976, so if they had... Um, their daughter in 1974, she was two. two, two old um, Danny inexplicably just left for a month and then came back and was like, Hey guys, what's up? Miss Jaw, love you. Just wanted to get a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. In Nevada. I'd be like, No, that's not how this works. And that's exactly what Omatha did. And she served him with but divorce papers. So. I think that Danny really took this as, like, abandonment, another abandonment, you know, as, aside from his father. And I don't know if it's abandonment. I think I really do think I follow the lack, of, the lack of control. No, I, I follow the lack of control. Everything's out mm -hmm. of his control. He, he, his killings, the way he splayed out his victims and the things he did was a control thing. So, um, throughout his tumultuous life, Danny consistently wrote poetry and songs as a coping mechanism. He thought that he was a, a country musician. I'm not going to fault that because art is a very <clears throat> good outlet, whether Absolutely. it's music or, or drawing or whatever it is. It's he a very sucked. good outlet for people. He sucked at it. Especially when you're dealing with a lot of internal issues, art mm -hmm. is like the way to get it out. He was cringy, as our girls say. He's cringy. Oh my God, it's so cringe, Mom. It's so cringe. Okay, so this is important to note, and I thought this was super interesting. So, Omatha, which by the way, in some publications, her name was Omather, but... Both very different yeah, style but, names. Yeah, but I'm seeing Omatha the most, so that's why I'm going with Omatha. Um, she was a petite brunette, much like many of the victims, but... Control. Danny would later say, Krista Hoyt, you remember the one with the mirrors and she around her and her yeah, intestines Yeah, I mean, you were, forget that one. And her head was cut off. I was about to say, you should have lived with the head cut off part. She could have been her twin. And Danny said they were identical. Yep. So he's not exactly revenge. We hate Danny. I just don't like him very much. Um, Danny... I know he's smart in some aspects, but he's really stupid in others because during the 80s, he keeps committing robberies all over the South 
and it's mainly grocery stores, mainly Winn-Dixie's. The Winn-Dixie Bandit. And he would get caught time and time again. He would get caught more times than not, actually, robbing Winn-Dixie's, and he would have to do time. So he spent a lot of years. Remember, when he was caught for all these rapes and murders, he was 36 years old. So he spent a lot of time in prison before that. Yeah, well, you keep robbing Winn-Dixie, <clears throat> they're going to find you. Uh, he, I just thought this was funny. There was no reason for me to keep this in here, but I just thought it was hilarious. Um, he modeled himself after Clint Eastwood in his favorite film, The Outlaw Josie Wales. And just like Clint, <laughs> he always wore a brown ski mask over his, his head when he robbed places. And it goes back to it. It's power and control. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he controlled everything. Clint Probably Eastwood, TV raised him. Clint Eastwood then. controlled every situation he was in. So this dude looked, looked at him up as to like... Him. He didn't have a dad. Well, he looked up to him as like, oh, I need to control things. Mm-hmm. I have a desire for control. Mm-hmm. This guy is the epitome of, like, just controlling the situation. Well, I also thought that that must have been where they got their mask from, from Scream. Because it kind of looks like with the downturn eyes, you know? I could see that. I kind of thought that. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, he wrote, Clearly, there's a ton of references a ton. to like, this guy. Wes Craven. We're talking about totally. cutting him from the weapon mm-hmm. to pretty much everything he was Mask. doing. Yeah, yeah. everything. Um, he repeatedly served short stints in prison where he tried to escape multiple times. So he always tried to escape. You know, I'm... I'll say this. I'm against death penalty. But I feel that in this case, it's probably the best case scenario for this No, And I want to clarify that because I said I'm against the death penalty. I'm against it only because it's more expensive. I'm I'm against it because it's an easy out. It's Mm -hmm. like a court suicide. I killed all these people. I don't have to deal with it for the rest of my life. Or I don't have to deal with, you know, Jen Pop at Rikers. For the next 50 years. Right. I just sit in this little isolated cell or the cell block. Limited access to anything. And they kill me. Well. So he doesn't have to really repent. Like I think the worst thing for that dude. I don't think the death penalty should be around for that reason. Is I think you should just stick him in seg. Look at. For the rest of their natural born lives. Look at Israel Keys. That's his only wish. That he got the death penalty. Yeah, because they don't want their family. Israel Keys didn't want his daughter. They don't but want his these people. Does have to suffer, uh, she but does. he just wants to be dead. He, he to doesn't see it. want. He <laughs> doesn't want the grief and the guilt. No, he's a pussy. It's a control. Yeah. Exactly, he's a pussy. He doesn't want the control. He wants to control the fact that his daughter, in his mind, when he's dead, won't have to deal with it. You little bitch. Just like. But the fact of the matter is, he has to. She has to deal with it. It's life. As much as you hate Danny right now, I promise you. You're about to hate him even more. You've been saying that, so let's go. No, I know. Okay. So Make me hate him. Um, okay. He repeatedly served short stints in prison, right? Where he tried to escape multiple times. I had to cut all this out just for time purposes, but that's a whole story in and of itself. He claims to have raped a 17-year-old woman in Shreveport in April of 1990, which, by the way, was the same year that he committed all the Cohen murders. When he claims to have raped a 17-year-old woman in Shreveport um, of April 1990, 
she lived in a trailer, apparently. According to him, she never reported this. He didn't kill her. But he did steal her 38 revolver and would later use that in a bunch of robberies of hmm. Winn-Dixie's. <laughs> Those damn Winn-Dixie's. Those damn Winn-Dixie's. He did rob a bank once, but that's a whole nother story. That's a long one, too. Nobody's so. escalating. Danny's last offense, he was... So he knows that, you know, the cops are kind of zeroing in on people in Gainesville after all the murders. So he runs to um, Akala Winn-Dixie in and Florida. Robs mm-hmm. He robs it. He needs, <laughs> well, he needs money to travel, I right? Mean, he's so predictable. Well, spoiler alert, do you know how he was surviving? He was building campsites in the woods behind these girls' apartments, as you can probably tell. I figured he was coming in and out of the woods, and he was using the woods as cover. I didn't know if he was staying there or not. So, this is also a whole other story in and of itself, but he had robbed this young boy's apartment um, while he was gone off to classes, and he got the keys to this kid's, his name was Chris, his vehicle, and um, that's what he used to rob the Winn-Dixie, and the cops caught him, pulled him over, he said that it was, like, the most police he's ever seen in one area in his whole life. Well, they're freaked out. Yeah. Well, this dude is, like, splaying people out all over their... They don't know it's him, though. Yeah, he's but... Just, well... They yeah. don't know it's him, but they're extremely heightened on like, any kind of violent what's crime. Going on? Yeah. Any violent crime in the area, they're going to respond with, like, crazy force. So, I thought this is pretty in- interesting right here. Um, a Marion County judge... After the Winn-Dixie robbing, he sentenced him to life in prison. Because he's a habitual offender. In prison, he was um, said to keep up with the Gainesville murder investigation. He loved to watch the news. That was his thing. Oh, he wants credit for what he's doing. He does. Prison psychologists stated that Danny Rowling displayed antisocial personality disorder as well as a schizophrenic type of psychosis. So, if we sound a little different, we had a few technical difficulties and had to re-record the end, so we apologize for that. Sorry. We, uh, we'll get better at this, don't worry. So no, kick we'll it back get to, better. Kicking it back to Cordy, she just talked about how he was diagnosed with uh, some psychosis, I believe. Yeah, uh, schizophrenic type of psychosis, which I have a lot of trouble saying. Yeah, you do. That's all right. I'm very sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, in prison, he was diagnosed with uh, antisocial personality disorder as well as a schizophrenic type of psychosis. Say that three times fast. Okay, now, how did Danny Rawlings become a suspect in the first place? Because remember, yeah, I mean, he's just been arrested for repeat offenses. Winn-Dixie Rawlings. Yeah, Winn-Dixie Rawlings. (laughs) Um, so Cindy Dracich, and I hope I'm saying that right, uh, she was on a trip in August of 1990 in, uh, the Florida, jeez, Flor- get it together, Courtney, in the Florida Panhandle when she heard of the Gainesville slangs. Uh, she said her mind instantly shot back to her acquaintance, Danny Rawling, in Shreveport. Interesting. Yeah. So she had attended church with Rawling at the Pentecostal church. And and Rawling and her husband, then husband, Steve Dobbin, were like besties. They hung out together. Really? 
just a few months after the Grissom family murders, remember the triple mm -hmm. homicide? How can you forget, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rowling told her then-husband something that really upset him. She's not sure exactly what was said between the men, but after uh, Stephen and Danny had been hanging out one night, Stephen came inside and uh, told his then-wife, he's got to go. And she was like, why? And he says, and I quote, he likes to stick knives in people. Yeah, that's a red flag warning. Yeah, I would... That's enough to make you not want to be friends with somebody. Yeah, I don't really want to hang out with a guy that says he sticks knives at people, so. Uh, not, and also wouldn't want to um, tell him that I don't want to be his friend either. I think I would just move. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so not long after that, the Gainesville slings occurred, and she called Crime Stoppers and ultimately broke the case. And it's so funny. I was actually going to omit this part because you don't hear about her like in any of the podcasts or... And I just found this little article about how she basically broke the case. And I'm like, why don't people talk about this? Yeah, that's, you don't want to omit that. I think that's an important thing. It's super kind of, important. They couldn't connect him to it before. She was a B.A.B. Um, -B, badass bitch. There you go. I like it. We need to put that on a shirt. Okay. Got to get a shirt first. Uh, so Danny Rawling is the ripper with plenty of evidence. A Gainesville grand jury indicted Danny on five counts of first-degree murder. Um, only five counts, not eight counts. Well, they can't indict him on the other three because they're in another state. Yeah. And three counts of sexual battery and three counts of armed burglary. So he was, he was charged for burglary. everything in Florida, yeah. period. Just, just not, the, just not the, uh, the Grissom murders. Just not the Grissom murders. So, um, Rawling, he finds love. Of course he does. We are so worried about that. It's so heartbroken for him that he'd never find love in prison. But uh, yeah, of course he does. Disgusting. And as you'll see, I'm not a big fan of this lady. Um, in June of 1992, uh, in Florida State Prison, inmate Bobby Lewis wrote his then pen pal, Sandra London, who happened to be a pen pal and confidant to several inmates. So that'll tell you kind of... The kind of person she yeah. is. And uh, revealed his friendship with Danny Rawling. And so, Sonia London, she found her in to the famed Gainesville Ripper. Mm, of course. Um, so, London is an, an aspiring true crime writer. She had already <laughs> co-authored a book with her high school ex-boyfriend, who turned out to be a serial killer, Gerard Schaefer. Yeah, she got a type, apparently. We serial can cover killers. Gerard Schaefer someday. He was, he was, pretty, he was a bad dude. Um... I don't think he was a serial killer back at 16. I mean, maybe he was. I don't know. But um, but we know that they all have these tendencies. From a young age. To just escalate from a young age, yeah. So he claimed that this book is fiction. In fact, the title of the book is called Killer Fiction. But it's it's just a freaking confession of all of his crimes. Nice. It's, it's ridiculous. I don't recommend it. Don't give her any money, for sure. So now her talons were set in... Um, the national craze that Rowling and his crimes have garnered, and she really wanted to be the next Anne Rule. She was a wannabe. So, uh, Sandra and Rowling developed a relationship, and he eventually proposed to her. Why not? <laughs> Rawlings would give her, uh, would give his, jeez, Rawlings would give her a horrific and chilling confession of all of his crimes. And she would write a book called The Making of a Serial Killer, The Real Story of the Gainesville Murders. She was just in it for profit. Um, I don't she was. recommend you read that either. Don't give her your hard-earned money. Yeah, no. 
Um, but London and Raleigh were sued by the state of Florida under the Son of Sam law, which keeps criminals from profiting off their crimes. And I'm totally 100% for that. But Why what, would you let them profit off their murders and rapes? If you don't already hate, we hate Rawling, but if you don't already hate this Sandra London, she hated the victims' families. And she was complaining that they wanted the profits from this book. And, and, they, and they were so upset about Rawlings making any money. She was quoted to, as saying um, they were money-grubbing. Yeah, wait, so that's her, her though. So is she supposed to represent Gail Weathers, you think? Yeah, I think so. She's got a good, very, very, uh, you know, obviously they make Gail Weathers a little less dark, right? Uh, but she's definitely much. a story chaser in the whole thing. Especially as the, so. as the screams go on, the second and third one, she's really just popping up. Yeah, and Gail is nicer than her, I think. But she is, but she definitely was popping up every yeah. time there was a potential story. Like she was there. Totally. Okay, so, um, oof. In March of 19... Remember, because he's already sentenced to life in prison. He's already in jail. Um, but he's, this is basically... In March of 1994 was a resentencing hearing. Um, he was sentenced to death for the murder of the five students in Gainesville. So, this is good, guys. This is, it's so bad, it's good. At the resentencing hearing, of course, Sonia London <clears throat> was sitting in the very front row. The judge asked Rawling... After sentencing, if he had anything he would like to say, which is customary. Now, it's also customary that, um, you know, the perpetrator would stand up and apologize to the victim's families who were also Sometimes, sitting in the yeah. courtroom. Um, but this is what he chose to do. And I'm, I'm going to let you listen for yourself. We'll say you have to give Mr. Rowling an opportunity to have a say. You have anything you want to say, Mr. Rowling? Well, sir. Well, please the court and get out. Address the court. Sure. Say whatever you want to say. Thank you. And it's on. I recall the day I first saw you. I reached out to say I love you. But it was hard to say I couldn't touch you. So tell me, baby, what were my words? All my tears run together. Excuse me, Mr. Rowling. Down the path you choose, Mr. Rowling. Too far. Yeah, that's enough of that. But as you can see, the judge was like, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't get signed after that, right? Jeez. Okay, so imagine the victim's family in court hearing that dude sing to his girlfriend. I couldn't. I think I would have murdered him myself if I was there. He was just awful. Okay, so he was sentenced to death only for the five murders, not the eight. Um, he would receive lethal injection in 2006 after then-Governor Jeb Bush signed his death warrant. Uh, his last meal was lobster tail with drawn butter, butterfly shrimp, baked potato, Strawberry cheesecake and sweet tea. That's a good last meal. Yeah, it's... I wouldn't have. I would not turn that down at all. I wouldn't have fed him that. At all. Like, you get tuna on bread. That's what you get, you know? <laughs> Peanut butter and bananas. Yeah, that's enough. Okay, most importantly, before his death, he did confess to the Grissom triple homicide. So the family at least received that kind of closure. I was, um... That's really sad. That he was never tried for that. I yeah, think. It, if he confessed to it on 
death row, like, yeah. as he's being murdered. Like, he's sitting there for his last meal, and he's about to walk to the death chamber. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I killed those people. What's the point in... What's the point in trying him after that? You know, I read... He's already paying the price. ...several articles that um, contradict what I just said. Oh, okay. And I, I'd forgotten about that. So I'm hoping he did. Maybe he didn't. But Maybe I'm seeing why. more articles than not saying that he did. So that's but why even I if, went even with if it. they he didn't and they turned around and said, you know what, this is the guy, he's guilty, there's no sense in, him, in spending you know, state money to have a trial on a guy that's already been put to death for murder. That's true. And some families don't want to go through that. They just close the case and say he was yeah. the killer. I mean, he's dying, you know, bye. Yeah. Uh, Rawlings, uh, his last words was, of course, a hymn. Oh, he likes to sing. Cool. He loves to sing and he's a good Christian man, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, the Some of the word the lyrics to this hymn where none is greater than thee O lord and he just went on and on and on and on and on and i just imagine god's like you know ew <laughs> ew. <laughs> ew ew stop <laughs> he was pronounced dead at 6 11 p.m on october 25th people as they do i don't know why they do this um gathered outside the prison when it was announced he was dead they went wild um, I get that he's horrible, but I don't understand cheering on like anyone dying. I just never have understood that. I mean, it's probably a few different things, right? So the, the guy's gone finally. He got what he deserved. It yeah. Puts an, it puts an end to these people's lives that were in terror for months. They were. They were months. scared. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, look at Ted Bundy. I mean, when he did that, remember how big the crowd was outside when he was put to death? And oh, they yeah. erupted and it was just, it was like Absolutely. a party out there. Absolutely. No, I totally get that. I get being terrified and being glad he's gone. It's just, I guess, the whole scene. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the spectacle of it. And they said that people had traveled from across the country. Like, why? <laughs> I mean, whatever. Um, I just feel like there's better things to do, you know? Maybe it was in support of the family or <clears throat> something. That's, yeah, very true. He was buried in the Florida State Prison Cemetery in Rayford, if anyone wants to go visit him. Just hit top of my <laughs> list to go do right there. <laughs> um, I don't know if I put this in my notes, but... The victim's family took up the first three rows in the viewing room. Oh, yeah. So they were all there. Yeah. Um, Okay, so do you remember Edward Humphrey, the first suspect? Um, He got his life together because he was, remember, he's not guilty of murder, but he was a little asshole. He's just a little turd. Yeah. Um, He's able to get help and reclaim his life. He recently, well, this is kind of recent to me. Um, he married his wife, Graciela Moreno, in 2002, and they moved to Palm Bay, Florida. And it took him a long time to shed the stigma attached to him from being a public suspect in the Gainesville murder. You can imagine how much hate he got. Can't come back from that really quickly. Uh, probably hard to find work after that, yeah. but he, he did. So I think his grandmother would be proud. She was, and it's still a shame that she died like 50-something hours before 56 he hours before But after she cleared. protested his innocence Jeez. so much. She never got to see him be so you know, exonerated. I know he lives with that guilt. Um, so there's a happy ending um, in memory of the students on the University of Florida campus. You can go and right outside the library, five really big oak trees were planted to honor the five victims of the Gainesville Ripper. And there are also scholarships set up in all of the students' names, awesome. which I just think is awesome. Um, a local teacher also snuck in the middle of the night on 34th Street, and there's like a big graffiti wall, and he um, graffitied a memorial to the students. 
And he recently said that he thought for sure it would be like tore down and repainted and police would, you know, get ha- mad. But no, they've like kept it up and added That's to it awesome. over the years. And it's still there. You can go and see it today. And I'll post a picture of it on our Instagram. It's just really cool. That I is love pretty that. Cool. Yeah. And there's an officer that was interviewed and she was like, yeah, nobody touches that wall. Nobody paints over it. We only add to it. Good. So it's just really cool. And yeah, we'll post a picture on our Instagram at Evil Pudding Podcast. Evil Pudding Podcast. And side note, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier. I can't remember if we mentioned it because it's been a couple of days since we started this podcast due to uh, technical issues. <laughs> we are uh, we were able to get the podcast up not just on Spotify but you know Apple, Google, everywhere uh, iTunes, you want to listen. iHeartRadio. I think we have no iHeartRadio is the only one we don't have it on. I'm still working on that one. Soon, soon. I'm working on that one. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, we really appreciate all your support, guys, and sharing this podcast with your friends. And We apologize for the delay. We tried to have this out, like, two days ago, and then we realized uh, we had some technical issues, and it sounded just like absolute doo-doo. And Courtney puts, you know, a week at a time, if not more, into some of these, so we wanted to make sure it sounded good. And, yeah, I want to put stuff out there that I'm proud. I know. Didn't sound like poo. and. Yeah, so we just decided to re-record. Yeah, I tried to edit it after a few hours. It was just uneditable to make it. Good. Yeah. And it's really cool, too, because we wanted to get it up yesterday or the day before. Actually, the Friday, Friday right? Night. Yeah, it was Friday night. But it's so cool when I'm getting messages from people saying, when is it coming out? When's it coming out? And that makes me feel so good because this is this weird passion of mine. And I always, I was always scared to tell people that I love doing this for fun. And now people are enjoying it with me. Yeah. It's just so cool. So I really appreciate yeah, it's y'all's awesome. support. You get to share it because you, you mean... You try to talk to me all about it, and sometimes I'm just like, okay, no more true crime no for the cares, day. Courtney. And I want to talk about it all day, but now you have an outlet, you know, and I'm doing it with you, and obviously Absolutely. people and are listening to it. it's fun for us to do it together. It is fun for us to do together. I like and it. I'm learning a new skill doing all this audio editing. Heck yeah. You're going to be a pro by the time this is done. Hey, I'm like a regular record producer by the time I'm done here. But remember, go on our Instagram or send us a message if you know us personally. Um, you can actually send voice messages on Spotify. Yeah, and, do that. Uh, Anchor. We, we want we want to know how to better ourselves. And I tried to test it out to see how it worked, but it yelled at me and said, "You silly person! You, you can't, can't send, send yourself, yourself a message." That's said, right, oh, you okay. did. So if y'all want to send messages, oh yeah, or, or message our personal Facebooks or text message me or Courtney if you have our numbers. Absolutely, and um, any recommendations that you guys have, I want to give you what you want. So. Give the people what they want. Next episode will be a little lighter because I need a wee break from all this, you know. From heads being severed and staring at a body that's surrounded yeah. by mirrors. And, and it's funny. Yeah. I hate to say that the next one's going to be a little lighter because it is murder. Murder's never killer, light. Yeah. Murder's never light. But no, it's not a serial killer oh, okay. this time. Well, not that we know of. So. Fantastic. Keep an eye or an ear out for that. And um, we love you guys. Be good to each other. And thank you for your patience. And we will see you by next week, huh? Evil putting out. Evil putting out. Peace out.